stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank, who also just happens to have a PhD in economics, which we need right now. So that's why I asked him to come on to the show this week to talk about everything that's going on in the news about trade, um, the tariff issue, possible retaliation, NAFTA negotiations. Why not? We'll just throw in TPP. How about the negotiations with the UK? They kind of get overlooked, the poor UK negotiations now that they're leaving the EU. Um, I did see, John, um, I don't know if you saw this article, but there was something in the Financial Times about how with the UK, we're negotiating now our own separate trade deal with them since they're leaving the EU now. And apparently on even just something as basic as how many airlines can fly into the US, this is all negotiated and we have the agreement with the EU airlines, but now we need to make it with the UK airlines separately and we're offering them a worse deal than what they had with the EU and they're not pleased about it. So there's like all this stuff going on right now globally, which we haven't seen, it doesn't seem like, in a couple decades. I agree. Um, so what do you make about all of it? Like what what should I be looking at as an investor? At, later on in the show, we're going to give some people tips on what they can be hiding out at you know, places where they can go to invest in certain stock sectors and things where maybe it won't be quite as volatile as what we've seen. But, um, you know, it seems like let's let's start with these possibility of tariffs. Do you think they're actually going to do it? Well, Tracy, let's, let's take one step back here and ask ourselves a biggest question. Why, why are we here? Why are we here? Um, why we're here is sort of different, a different answer comes from a different point in time, generationally speaking. I mean, if you're 20, you're lived in the infotech world and the cell phone world and the wireless world your whole life. If you're my age, you lived in it half the way. And, but the other half of the way was, was an analog world where you read books and made phone calls on, on you know, cord, corded phones and there was no, no, no real noticeable Internet uh, happening up until 2000. And then you have the people older than me who are completely left astray and siloed by all of this change um, and, and are frankly quite threatened by it. And the problem we're having in the U.K. and the United States and frankly Italy too now is electoral systems, because older people vote more uh, than younger people, are out of step with the people and the economy and the times. And so what happens here is we're getting an amazing array of reactionary decisions, reactive decisions, decisions that, that are, are based on some misguided notion of returning to an earlier state that is really a nostalgia uh, because the underlying economies are long since gone. And the younger people understand that, and they have no nostalgia whatsoever, but the older people really do. Yeah. And that, that's the problem right now is really what this is, is a, a end of an era versus the beginning of one. It's, it's a lot of older people in power in England, in the United States, parts of Italy, even Germany, uh, who, who have this uh, nostalgia and are feeling 
the need to to rectify some set of rules around bringing it back. And so the tariff decisions are classic because they're tariff decisions that are not on semiconductor chips or lasers or robotics right. or 3D imaging or whatever. Um, internet stuff, social media, none of that is being even thought about or even talked about because it's a younger generation thing. What's going on is steel. And if you were yeah. the President of the United States who was in his 70s, not young 70s, U.S. Steel in the late 50s was a giant company yeah. with several hundred thousand employees. And U.S. Steel is basically a rump of what it used to be. And yeah, I saw perspective, on that angle, John, I saw some interesting numbers about like the sheer number of people who's who are working in the steel industry. So um, right now we have about 140,000 only in the right. industry. And interestingly, back the last time we tried steel tariffs in 2002, which everybody's talking about again, those were the Bush administration tariffs. There were 187,000 employed. So we're we're already down 47,000 just in the last, you know, decade and a half since those last tariffs. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fairly small industry. Yeah, just to give you an idea, um, U.S. Steel in 1943 had 340,000 employees. Wow. <laughs> wow. One company. Yeah. 1943, 340,000 employees. Yeah. So, um, like I said, they tried these tariffs in 2002 or something similar. It was more um, specific back in 2002. It was on like certain types of products, like a certain percentage of tariff on sheets versus bars and rods. They didn't go after, you know, they didn't do a blanket thing or just say, you know, coming from certain countries or that kind of thing. And the price of steel rose 68% within three years. After those tariffs, <laughs> so is that something we could see again, or if as conditions are a little bit different now, right? Than than in two thousand two. Well, here here again, this gets into the time in two thousand two was early infotech, so yeah, the world the, the these companies actually can be producing the same amount of volume with less workers now, right? Um, but but also make up a smaller percentage of the economy because so much growth has happened away from them. Um, so the answer now is steel in the United States um, is being used for the things you brought up. And this tariff situation in 2002 is fresh, not in the minds of voters so much as it is in the minds of places like the EU and Canada and yeah. Mexico and Brazil and South Korea, where all the importing of steel to the United States now is happening. 30% of steel comes from those big countries. So the problem here is that the 2002 thing left the lawyers and the economists that work in these governments a template for how to handle the United States in a situation like this. And it's what we're seeing is kind of a re, re, replay of those, you know, an update and a replay of these, these templates all over the place. So yeah. the real issue here is when you put Canada, South Korea, Japan, you know, uh, Brazil, Europe, and all these countries up against yourself, this is sort of not actually achieving much at all with the people you want to achieve something with, which might be China, and, and, you're, and you're attacking your allies, which is yeah. not supposed to happen because this is a national security issue, but you're hurting your allies while you're trying to help yourself. So externally, it makes no sense. 
uh, it doesn't target any goal you have with a huge deficit with China, which might make some sense. And it's divisive because you're going to get them to target the Republican leadership. You know, Harley's in Wisconsin for Ryan, Bourbon in Kentucky for, for McConnell, Blue Jeans out here in California to take yeah. on McCarthy, who's in Bakersfield. And these things happen just like a template. So it's all going on. It's going to go on for quite some time uh, at this level. And it's just a matter of of what happens in the White House with with this whole situation, and that's not a good situation to, to, to be asking for reason to come from. Right. And how does this influence NAFTA? So I know President Trump, he tweeted out about how he would exclude Canada and Mexico from these tariffs if, you know, they uh, conceded on some other points on the NAFTA negotiations. Is, is NAFTA... Um, it doesn't get much play, I feel, in the media because it's kind of boring. Like they've been in, in several, I think they're in six or seven rounds of talks now. Seven rounds, yep. Seven yeah. Rounds. And so the media doesn't really pay much attention. I feel like the American public isn't really caring. Why should they? Like these are just negotiations going on in various, you know, capitals. And until something's actually decided, then everyone will care. But what what should we be watching with NAFTA now? Because it has been going on a while now. Yeah, well, first of all, I think the number of repetitions of trade talks is a strategy in its own right. It's called slow walking, slow mm-hmm. walking a decision. So you're just going to drag it out as long as you can. I think the Canadians and Mexicans are basically deciding to slow walk it past the midterms. Okay. So I think NAFTA was not going to happen in any meaningful way until after midterms because the slow walking is going to be the strategy of the Mexicans and the Canadians. Uh, the thing about the tariffs that you throw on steel and aluminum, to, you know, Trump's doing this art of the deal thing where you create all this anxiety and bring people, you know, then take back something and try to get something for it. The problem I have with that is I don't actually think um, people like to be bullied. Yeah. And this is kind of a bullying tactic, and I'm not sure that being reciprocal, you know, being being responding to bullying is a good strategy from the other perspective in this type of situation. problem he's having here is he's thinking about it in a business negotiation where companies have, you know, a certain shorter timeline and less resources. Governments have infinite times and, yeah. and infinite resources in these responses, they'll just slow walk it. So okay. I think, again, we're seeing a mistake on the part of a lot of the people who support the president and thinking that business and government are the same thing and getting some, some business leadership will, will help us out. Trade deals are notoriously complex. They're negotiations that go over years of time. And, and governments are not are not businesses. They have infinite resources and infinite patience because they're going to be there tomorrow and right. the next day and the <laughs> next year. And they can wait for the next election and they can just drag this out. Yeah. And, and so I think that's why the market's not reacting too strongly because I think uh, the undercurrent is that this is just going to go on for a long time. Okay. What about any kind of inflationary pressures with any of these tariff issues um, obviously won't happen until they, if they do it or that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I saw the video of Commerce Secretary um, Ross holding up the can of the Campbell soup saying it won't, you know, it's like one sixth of three cents or something is the price of steel in that can. So you're not going to see it on the store shelf. 
And so he was kind of mocking that whole thing that all these, you know, products could see price rises. But should I be worried about that this is going to add to some kind of inflationary pressures? Well, here's the problem with Wilbur Ross's analysis. He, he took, I mean, you think of it as a value change where you start with raw materials, you move through intermediate inputs to final goods, which final goods are, are goods like soup cans and aluminum cans and pop. But in a value context, the way it works is you get the aluminum and you process it somewhere. You put it into a machine or machine tools, and then they create the cans of pop, and that's a final good. The mistake here is that people who have the high use of the high alloy content steel, the really sophisticated stainless steel, and the really sophisticated aluminum ingots are the machine intermediates, mm. right? The machine okay. intermediates where a plethora of these small, mid-sized industrial capital goods makers are heavily reliant on these types of very refined inputs. So his analysis is, is too far down the value chain. Okay. Because down the value chain, you're, you know, you're, it's basically pop you're buying, not a can. When you're buying a machine that's you know, 70% aluminum, the value content is heavy, heavily aluminum, and the price can go up dramatically. Yeah. And that is the inflation that you have to worry about, capital goods inflation. Okay. And why that matters is that can crimp the very investment, the capital investment you're trying to create in an economy like this is is is, is you're, you're you're putting the pressure on the intermediate goods to to swallow that price because their content is so much higher and more central to their good, and they create inflation, which then causes any of the capital investment in unit terms to go down because those prices rise. So you say you buy less capital goods because they're higher priced, and that's where this thing doesn't work from a growth perspective because the capital investment comes too expensive. That's how I would phrase it. So it's a PPI, not a CPI, right? He took the CPI approach. I'm thinking of it in a PPI approach, producer price index. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, that's a lot clearer. Okay, so let's say, you know, we get no real answers on any of this. or <laughs> It keeps, uh, they're doing right. it, they're not doing it, or, you know. It, but just slow walk it, right? Yeah. You're going to be talking about this for the next year until we give up on it. Right, right, it could be. <laughs> so in the meantime, then, where do I want to invest? It seems to me like I, I still don't want to be, even if it's slow walked, I don't want to be in some of the... Um, big kind of manufacturing companies that use steel and aluminum heavily, like a Boeing or a Caterpillar or someone like that. Plus, they have all these international relationships, and I feel like that could, if there's retaliations and various other things, that could be impacted. So I've, I've, I'm staying away from those those kinds of big manufacturers. But it, it also sounds like maybe I want to stay away from some of these consumer goods, like you were saying, like the Harleys, you know, the bourbon, <laughs> the jeans, that kind of thing, which could easily be tariffed. You know, our exports could be impacted that way. And that seems easy for them to use as retaliation, right? So I want to stay away from those things. I would think those are decent ideas. I mean, the problem here is is uh, how much of the market are incorporating what you're talking about because we're not the first people to talk about it. Right. Um, so, I mean, to get a good idea out of this is probably not going to happen because everybody's aware. Like we talked earlier, the playbook's already in play. Yeah. It's already been discussed and prices are already incorporated all this. So, yeah, generally speaking, the idea is that you don't have any more idea than the market, so don't try to play 
smart about it, right? right. Just stay away from it. There's other growthier areas without any content of aluminum steel to play in, so yeah. why bother in the first place? Yeah, if you're trying to reduce um, your own stomach ache or <laughs> right. headache, then then stay out of it. But everybody is aware that these are the areas to stay out of, obviously. Yeah, and then the other thing is, I, you know, like, for example, I have... Uh, Put Valet, you know the the Brazilian oh, iron yeah. company, and it's a Zach's number one ranked yeah. stock. It's basically shipping iron ore to China. Um, has has for throughout its history, and you there's an overread here that the the end market for steel is 36 billion, and that's 30 percent of that is imported steel. So that's 30 percent of 36 billion is basically 10 billion, of which Valet probably does very little of that. Right. Okay. And so the other thing is, there is a play I think in international materials companies that are basically going to get the scene one, scene them all treatment. They'll get sold off in this sell off, but they're probably going to be fine and rebound pretty well. So I would think you you could play a contrarian out there. But if I were if I were to be contrarian, I would stay in international material markets, major producers, major producers who are already attractive stocks to begin with whose end markets are basically not the United States at all. Right. And those stocks were basically already out of favor. Um, I don't know many people buying the valets of the world right now. So right. that, that is, a, yeah. So that's, that's a, why I think it's, that's why I haven't gotten rid of it. Cause I think, you know, it's yeah. just, it's, it's 11 PE, you know, it's a big Brazilian stock, a lot of indexes. They, they make dollar 40 in earnings, you know, yeah. 13 bucks or whatever next year. Uh, I said to myself, I just don't see this as being an issue for them, and I think as time rolls on, the slow walking gets up, uh, they'll be fine and they'll rally. Okay. Right? Do they just have the ticker Valet, V-A-L-E? Is that yeah. their ticker, too? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't or looked at that. The other one is like ArcelorMittal, like the big oh, yeah. steel producer, right? They're in, they're in 60 countries. 60 countries. So, I mean, this type of company... How are they affected by this? If if you ask yourself that, I just did. Yeah. Uh, very complicated answer, right? Because a, a lot of it will be domestic production that's been matched to avoid shipping because it's these steel's heavy, and you basically produce where your end markets are, and you have sixty plants for the end markets for sixty end markets, and yeah. they probably are so diversified by end market that they their only hit will be on their the, the plants they have in the United States, which they may just shift production in the United States and, 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 and as opposed to shipping in, and right. they'll work around it. Because that's, that's their whole plan, is to have so much production so many places that they'll be fine. So the answer is, is how, how is that type of stock going to work? I don't think there's a quick answer to that, Tracy. No, no. Other than I'd probably just stay away from it because I don't understand it. Right. <laughs> well, that's always a technique, I feel, for investors. Right. Um, yeah, just don't go in that direction. Yeah, I, just, I think you could talk yourself into being a genius here and you can be dead wrong a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, that's why I kind of like some of the ones that aren't related at all to the materials. So just to hide out in, you know, even like the Chinese internet stocks. I mean, what's going to happen to them if there's some kind of trade war going on? I don't know. They're mostly domestic China and they don't sell anything except the internet. You know, they, that would be like Tencent, which has the WeChat, which is China's Facebook. 
So that ticker is T-C-E-H-Y. I do own that one myself. But there's other ones. There's Sina, S-I-N-A is that ticker. And they, they own Weibo, which is China's Twitter. But you could, what about like our Twitter? T-W-T-R is that ticker. Um, I, I don't know how that could be necessarily impacted in some kind of trade war. So I feel like I could maybe hide out there or even in Facebook, which everyone knows that ticker is FB. And then one area I feel that kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but could be an interesting place to hang out in are the community banks, the more local banks, not the big regional ones, because some of them could have um, impacts on if there's, you know, trade issues. But the real small guys, I feel, get overlooked, you know, the ones that are just making mortgages and where you have your deposits at the local bank, there are, those still exist out there. Uh, but it's hard to know because there's so many, there's thousands of them across the U.S., like which ones you could be in and then which ones publicly trade. And there's never a lot of information on them. We do have Zach's rank on some of the small cap banks. So that's one area you can kind of look at. I own one of them in, in my value investor portfolio, the United Community Bank Corps. That ticker is UCBI. Um, they're in the Carolinas and um, heavy into like Charleston and Georgia in Atlanta area. So anyone out there knows, and they may bank at United Community Bank Corps, but otherwise you wouldn't really know what's going on with any of these community banks. So I do like the community bank ETF. No one else does. Every time I mention it, I, I get like zero feedback <laughs> about the community bank ETF, but that ticker is QABA if you just want to own like a basket of them. But what do you think, John, about like hanging out in the banks right now? You know, uh, Tracy, that that's a decent idea. The financials are doing double-digit earnings this year, yeah. and they are the ones within the S&P 500 that get the most upgrades over the last two months because the rate hikes are, are creating profits for them down the road. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, their earnings look real good, and they keep popping up on the number one lists I see, and it's always a lot of these community banks that... Yeah, I mean, the, the issue you have here is holding, period. Right. Um, you know, because you have lower rates, rising rates, and low unemployment, keeping credit defaults down. Yeah. Um, but you have very high prices on homes and whatnot. And right. if the Fed blows it, has to hike too much, and we have a recession two and a half years from now, that call becomes dead wrong. Yeah, so, totally. The problem with that call <laughs> is, is timing. It's probably going to be right for a year or two, and then you're going to be in scary places. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to, I'm going to have you back on to the market edge again to talk about the recession possibilities. Cause we haven't done that. We haven't done that in a while now. Right. I looked this morning. It's only 9% for the last half of this year. So it's not very high. No. Yeah. So I don't think anybody's really worried about 2018 seeing it. But... Yeah. Well, the first quarter of 2019 is 18%. Oh, okay. So, so 18% is pretty high. Yeah. And this is the problem right now is the uh, economist world is trying to tag when the overheating begins. They're not going to get it right, but right. The, the consensus is two years from now now. Okay. Uh, that's the problem with competing banks. You get it right, you think you're a genius, and then you blow up. Right. <laughs> I like being a genius for a little while, John. <laughs> <laughs> the trading company is fine to be a genius for a while, Tracy. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so there's some good ideas of places you could hang out in if you don't like the volatility in some of these big um, multinational manufacturing type stocks or just in the stock market in general. I also kind of like the small caps here just in general. Uh, they've underperformed 
the the big caps, you know the big caps well, John. Do you see any overheating in general with the big caps right now? Seems like it's not as bad as it was two months ago with the large caps. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, here's the problem. I I, I did a, a TV thing when Salesforce reported earnings a week ago, and when I looked into Salesforce, which is a stock that's been ripping it for three and a half years, yeah, you know, tripling its its price per share. What he's done is he's managed to beat earnings by two cents for 16 quarters in a row. And so it's just completely managed, massaged earnings beats consecutive one after the other. And I, I think this is true for a lot of these companies like Facebook and we brought into the game. These big Internet firms, highly massaged earnings trajectories that, that maintain the momentum of these stocks. Yeah. And so what we have to worry about is that the, somehow the party ends. And and there's a big uh, comeuppance, and you know once that happens, and once these things trip, they can drop quite dramatically because they're all based on that momentum right now. Right. So the market's kind of split between momentum stocks like this that are kind of massaged underneath by earnings beats, and then companies that are being ignored, say like in Milan, which reported a big drug stock, seven times earnings. Wow. And five bucks a share, seven times earnings. It's being totally ignored. Yeah. I should look at that. Why, yeah, I mean, why aren't I seeing that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, why, why, but it's not, it may not move. You might be, again, yeah. I, I might tell you I'm a genius, and then you can sit in the stock for two and a half years because no one buys it. Right, right. Well, that is the danger a lot of times with the value stocks, for sure. Right. And this yeah. is what's going on now is value is out, momentum yeah. is in, and that is pricing out a lot of risk that's being should be incorporated, right? Which yeah. is, you know, the Salesforce really beat, every time by two cents going over 16 quarters in a row. Do I really think that? I don't know. Some people do. Yeah. Well, the market yeah. does. Yeah. And it's really, again, I mean, yeah, that's it's, it's part of the, the music that's being heard by different ears here, which is if right. you're young enough to right. know what Salesforce does and where they are, uh, you're in a totally different market than the people who are worried about, you know, the commanding heights of steel and aluminum when you're 65, 70, and watching U.S. steel plummet from right. on a 340,000-employee firm when you're a young person to 25,000 yeah. people now. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, okay, so let's recap the stocks. We talked about um, some of the uh, Chinese Internet stocks. That would be Tencent, TCE. EHY is the ticker there. It's the weird five-letter ticker. Then we had Sina, S-I-N-A, if you want to own the Weibo over there. Then, well, you can also own Weibo separately, WB, but with Sina, you get both. Um, and then we had Twitter, TWTR, if you're interested there, Facebook, FB. The community banks are QABA, and I mentioned United um, Community Bank Corps, which is UCBI. And then uh, for kind of a contrarian play no one else is thinking about on the material side, uh, John really likes the Valet, V-A-L-E. And we did mention Arcelor Metal. Isn't that MT, I want to say? Yeah. Okay. But that seems pretty complicated in these kind of conditions. So you're avoiding it. Um, I don't know if they want to, but they should check it out. It's something to look into. And I think that's it. Is that all the one? That's a lot of tickers for today. So some good places to hang out in. And as always, like I said, I'm going to have John back on to talk about um, those recession 
risks, if there are any, and what that might mean for maybe the second half of the year. We'll we'll chat about that in upcoming podcasts. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can get all of the Zach's Market Edge plus the Value Investor Podcast if you're over there on SoundCloud and on Apple. You can get all of our shows um, every week. You don't want to miss one. And I'll see you again next time.